there's no way this week can be as crazy as last week, right? Like, there's got to be a little bit of a reset. That's what we're going to try to figure out today here on the show. Welcome in, everybody, to the Two Stripes Podcast, hosted by me, Colton Denning. That's who I am. I am the host of this show. I'm also the host of Scarlet and Gray Stripes, where you can hear all of my Ohio State takes for preview and recap episodes of that on this same feed. No Ohio State game this week, which, yeah, I'm bummed about, but I'm also super stoked about at the same time because that means I can just sit back and enjoy everything else happening in the college football landscape here in Week 7, and that's what I'm here to preview today on this show. If it's your first time listening, thank you. If you're returning, thank you as well. Make sure to subscribe to the show, Apple, Spotify, follow along on Spotify. You can also listen on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash pod. You can interact with me on Twitter at Dubsco. Follow my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Denning for all sorts of highlights and other college football goodies there. And subscribe to the website where dumb picks of the week are. That's twostripecpd.com. And boy, let me tell you, dumb picks of the week had a rough one last week after a 9-1 start. Went 0-3 last week. Going to try to get back up on the horse and uh, and have a good week for dumb picks of the week here. Uh, I'm not... I'm not too optimistic about it, but we'll see how it goes. Make sure to subscribe to twostripecbd.com if you want to see all of that stuff there. No long intro today. Let's jump right into the week seven preview. And I said it right at the top that there's there's no way that the craziness of week six and what was really like an all-time college football day on Saturday from the moment it started from Texas and Oklahoma and the just complete shit show that that game was just total chaos. Then Alabama losing to Texas A&M, the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, and everything between. Like Week six was just so wild and was such, an, was just such a fantastic day of college football. There's no way that it can match, this week can match, what we saw last week, right? Probably not. There, there's no way it's going to be that crazy. And with that in mind, like, where do we go from here? What does week seven look like? What's the storyline? What's the big talking point after what we witnessed last week and just the amount of pure absurdity that was week six? And to me, looking through all these games and doing my notes, the biggest thing that I came up with was this is the kind of week where the biggest storyline is how are these teams that we saw last week play in these emotional games, whether it was a crazy comeback win or an upset, teams like Oklahoma or Texas A&M, how are they going to fare this week off of that emotional high? How can they sustain that? How can they avoid having a setback after that? And on the flip side, how can teams that lost those games, Texas, Alabama, Arkansas, and that crazy overtime game against Ole Miss, how can those teams avoid having those losses be things that affect them this week and beyond? How can they basically prevent their seasons from snowballing? I don't think we got to worry about that with like Alabama, but you know what I mean. How can teams that had a loss last week rebound from that and get back on track after just an unbelievable week six? So that's the main thing that I'm going to talk about on today's show, how those teams involved in those games can respond after such an emotional week. That is the main storyline to me. And then you also throw in uh, what are the biggest games this week when we're talking about Kentucky and Georgia, which probably is the biggest game, at least ranking rankings-wise, this week. So talking about some of the other big games, including that one, and if there's any upset potential, because 
when you look at it on paper, you would say, yeah, I, th- I think so with some of these matchups. But when you dive into it, maybe you think a little bit less or you're a little bit less optimistic that there's upset potential. So I'll talk about biggest games, upset potential, in addition to that emotional highs and lows storyline after last week. But first, I, I just got to get this out of the way. And I hate that I'm leading off the show with this talking about this week's slate of games, but there was no way I was going to leave it festering until the end. It was something that I talked about on Twitter the other day. And in in the midst of everything going on right now with all the conferences, with all the games, with all the craziness and how fun the season has been so far, we really need to have a frank adult conversation about what is happening in the Pac-12 right now. It is absolute madness out here, out West, with what is going on in the Pac-12. And I want to start the show with this just to get it out of the way. I apologize for talking Pac-12 right at the start of the show. I understand if you just want to leave and never listen again. So please, I I don't blame you if you don't want to hear Pac-12 talk. But this, to me, is so fascinating because when you look at the slate this week, and I'm just talking about Pac-12 on Saturday because Cal and Oregon play on Friday night. And that game to me doesn't really matter outside of wondering whether Oregon can finally put together four quarters of consistent football. And you might say to yourself, Colton, they went on the road and they beat an Ohio State team who looks like one of the best teams in the country right now. And yes, they they did do that. But one, Ohio State wasn't very good in that game. And two, Oregon, looking back at that game and how Ohio State was at that point, probably should have blown the doors off of them. And they almost let Ohio State come back and win. So I'm discounting the Cal-Oregon game on Friday. The only thing I'm looking at is if, if Oregon just completely beats the shit out of them, then that gives me a little optimism for Oregon that they've turned the corner and that they're going to you know, be a little more complete heading down the home stretch and into the second half of the season. So throw that game to the side and let's talk about everything else happening in the Pac-12 on Saturday. And we got to start, I'm going to try to sell you on this here. Believe me, I understand it's, gonna, it's a hard sell that I'm working with here at the start of the show, but give me give me a chance to sell you on the chaos here. And let's start with uh, one close to my heart, and that's Arizona. Yes, Arizona. 0-5, I believe, Arizona, making the trip to Boulder to go play Colorado. This might be, this is quite possibly, the worst Power 5 matchup we have seen in the last five years. I saw other people tweeting about this. Somebody brought up Baylor in Kansas from like 2018 or 2017, whenever it was, that one was pretty bad. But off the top of my head, I can't think of a Power 5 game that's worse than this one and how this one shapes up. Both of these teams are just just terrible. And the fact that there's a Power 5 team worse than CU is astonishing to me, given you know what I've seen from them this year. And I got to say, I'm, I'm going to be watching this game. This is like a 3.30, I think, kick on Pac-12, so 95% of the country doesn't get it. I don't even get it. I'm going to have to legally stream this one while wearing my CU jersey. And I got to tell you guys, if CU loses this game, uh, I might I might have an emergency podcast, like therapy venting session here on this feed. If CU loses that game, I might be about seven, eight Coors Lights deep and just let it fly for about an hour, hour and a half about the Colorado football program. I am extremely excited slash scared 
to watch this game and to see just the level of pitiful football between Arizona and Colorado. So if that's something you're interested in, maybe an emergency uh, podcast here on the feed if Colorado loses this game where I just completely uh, just let it all go. So that's how the Pac-12 kicks off that Saturday. There's four games here I'm going to talk about. The second one is Stanford at Washington State. You probably have no interest in this game at all. I, and believe me, I'm not telling you to watch any of these games, but I'm going to watch them because I'm a sicko. So Stanford at, at Washington State. A loss for Stanford here would mean that they would be 3-4. and four. Already four losses on the season. We know that they had the big win, the fluky win over Oregon. But if they lose this game, when do we start just talking about what Stanford is and not what they were 5, 10 years ago? That's where I'm at in the Stanford portion of this. And then for Washington State, really just looking for any reason to see Nick Rolovich get fired. That's that's the only reason I'm watching this game, because for either team, it's going to be bad to lose this game just in, in different ways. So that's intriguing to me for those two reasons. And speaking of state of Washington head coaches that possibly could get fired pretty soon here. Hello, Jimmy Lake over at Washington under talked about disaster going on with the Washington Huskies right now. And you look at their record and you would say, oh, they're they're two and three. What are you talking about? I know it hasn't gone their way, but, you know, it's, teams have down years all the time. Washington is coming off a loss to Oregon State two weeks ago. They had the open date last week to try to, I guess, get things sort of normal. They've lost to Montana, too. Washington was ranked. If you remember going back to that Michigan game in week two, People had some high hopes for them this season, and they have just completely not lived up to any of that. And now this week, they get to play UCLA at home, who is four and two. And on the UCLA side, it's really just a continued discussion of are they for real or not? We've seen them play some really good games. I saw them play awesome in person against a very terrible, in hindsight, LSU team. But they've looked great at certain points early in the season. And at other points, UCLA has just looked pedestrian, to say the least. So what UCLA are we going to get? They're always intriguing to me from that standpoint. And then back to Washington here. If they lose this game, they'll be 2-4, and four, and they still have Stanford, Oregon, and Arizona State left on the schedule. It's not looking good right now for Washington. And you know, for whatever people want to say about the Pac-12, I hate having that argument of like, oh, the Pac-12, not going to make the playoff again. This is a terrible conference. They really don't have any strength. I just think it's it's lazy analysis to say that about the Pac-12. But when you look at a team like Washington, for the Pac-12 to be strong, Washington has to be better than what they have been under Jimmy Lake. And I, you know, I don't know what success to that program is we saw them make the playoff in 2016 so I I can't say that like hey they need to go 10 and 2 every year but I do know that Washington needs to be better than they are and the the offense is just a complete dumpster fire so I don't have any faith that they're going to be able to beat UCLA even though they're playing at home but they need to find a way to try to steal a win here and at UCLA's expense if they were to lose this game uh you know I don't think we're starting to talk to what's Chip Kelly doing there? Should he be fired thing? But I do think it would be disappointing that after the way they started the season that UCLA is just kind of flirting with 500 again. So that's why I have my eyes on that game. And then lastly, to round out the Pac-12 slate that I am so interested in, 
this week. It's for actually good reasons, and it has championship implications, at least in the Pac-12, because Arizona State is going on the road to play Utah on Saturday night, and this is basically the Pac-12 South title game, and it's mid-October. If Arizona State wins, they'll be, I think, 4-0 in Pac-12 play and have a win over Utah, who would be second at that point, and Arizona State's remaining schedule after this game is Washington State, USC, at Washington, at Oregon State, Arizona, at home. Are there are there any games there where you feel comfortable about any of those teams having a better than 50-50 shot at beating Arizona State? Maybe the one there is like they play on the road at Oregon State. That is probably the one where you think is a little the most volatile in terms of them losing. But if Arizona State wins this game, it is very much a possibility that 11-1 and or 10-2 and is absolutely on the table for them, which is crazy given one, every everything people said about Herm Edwards when he came in, all the shit people talked about, myself included, and to see what they are now, and two, everything that happened before the season and like the current ongoing NCAA investigation. And if they were to just like spring a 10 and two or 11 and one season in the midst of that, that would just be, it would be funny. And would it be honestly be really cool to see. So that game is basically for the PAC 12 South title here in mid October. And I got to be honest, I I know nothing about this Utah team. I can't tell you anything. I don't want to just look up stats and say, this is their leading rusher. This is their leading receiver. The one thing I do know is that it's been a very real and tough and trying season for them because since December, they've had two players pass away. So it it would be really cool to see Utah pull out a win here and have a moment at home with in the midst of what's been an extremely trying, to, to say the least, season for them. I can't imagine kind of the emotions that all those players and, and coaches are going through going through this season after everything that they've been through and we've all been through in the last year and a half and to just add that to the mix is really unfortunate. So it'd be nice to see Utah have that moment at home in front of their fans at night in what should be a really big and important game in the Pac-12. So yeah, that's how I'm leading off the show. with with After the craziest week in recent college football memory, we're leading it off with, uh, with Pac-12 talk. So apologies for that. I just wanted to get that out of the way because to me it's it's very fascinating and goes to show like how many different storylines there are this season. But with that out of the way, back to what we're really talking about this week and what what the main storylines are. And I'll talk about the teams coming off the emotional highs and, and lows here in a second. But are there any upsets in the making? This week, what are the biggest games? What are, what's the upset potential? That's where I want to kick off here after the Pac-12 talk. And firstly, like if we're going to talk about big games, I kind of mentioned it earlier. The biggest game of the year, or biggest game of the year, the biggest game of the week. I hope to God it's not the biggest game of the year. It's between Kentucky and Georgia in Athens, and we're coming off a week where uh, Kentucky just dump trucked. LSU. I, I might have said it on the podcast that I picked LSU to win the game. I definitely had LSU winning in dumb picks of the week. It's called dumb picks for a reason. But Kentucky just week after week continues to prove themselves. They beat Florida. They beat LSU. Now they have a shot at Georgia. I like. I can't lie. I don't have any idea of what to expect from them. But I will say my my stance on here all year has been until 
Georgia, like until further notice for Georgia, I'm just not going to pick against them here. They're 22 and a half point favorites. Kentucky's ranked 11th, I think. And even if Kentucky loses, which seems pretty likely, let's just see how strong they play Georgia. Let's see what kind of test Georgia can get. We haven't really seen that yet so far this season. I mean, I guess the Clemson game, if you want to add that on the season opener, but since then, Georgia has really just kind of steamrolled everybody they've played. I don't know if that's going to change this week, but until otherwise, I'm just rolling with the dogs until they give me a reason not to. So that's the biggest game of the week. But then there's a couple of others that I wanted to look at to see top 10, top 15 type games to see if they had any sort of upset potential. And the first one I've got written down here is Michigan State, who is at number 10 on the road at Indiana Michigan State's a four and a half point favorite here. I'm convinced. I've said it on the show the last couple of weeks. I've wrote it, wrote in it, written it down in dumb picks of the week. I'm convinced that MSU is just their prime to go down at some point. Nebraska should have beaten them the last two weeks. I've picked them to lose. I'm not going to call it here because Indiana just hasn't looked good. They had a bye last week. Maybe they're able to get back on track. Maybe they're able to fix some of the issues that they've had to start the season. They're two and three. Everybody, they were they were everybody's, you know, dark horse pick, and everybody loves them. They're the internet champion, and they just haven't played that way this season. So I'm not going to call for it. I'm not going to get my hopes up that it's going to happen, but we just have to see what Indiana did off the bye week. Uh, I don't think the upset potential here is is very high, but maybe this is a game you keep your eyes on just based off of the potential that Indiana had coming into the season and we we know they have good players maybe at this point two and three and they just are what they are but they should be better and maybe this is the week that they show that and even if it doesn't result in a win maybe they just play better make it a game going into the fourth quarter I don't know the other Big Ten game I have written down here in the, the upset potential category is Iowa at home against Purdue. They're 11 and a half point favorites. We saw Iowa in the win last week against Penn State. Um, I don't know what to say about that game. Iowa just continues to live off of other teams' mistakes. They played such a bad first half, offensively at least, against Penn State. And it looked like Penn State was going to run away with that game. But to Iowa's credit, they... They hung in there and they ended up getting the win and it didn't help that Sean Clifford got injured and Penn State had to play their backup quarterback. You just know that at some point they're going to lose. There's just no way that they can continue this and just have the turnover luck that they've had so far this year. Somebody is going to get them. I don't know if it's this week. Purdue hasn't been impressive enough for me to feel comfortable about that. I know I saw a graphic about uh, Purdue receiver David Bell against them the last two seasons. I think he's had 13 catches in each of the games they've played the last two years, and his numbers are just ridiculous against them. I don't know if he alone is going to be enough to put them over the top here, given that it's uh, in Iowa City. So not going to call for it. Uh, You could probably talk me into this being a close game just based off of the way that Iowa plays, but I'll resist the urge to call for an upset and say that Iowa actually looks... Pretty strong this week on both sides of the ball. And then the last game I have written down here in this category of upset potential, and really none of these games, now that I'm talking through it, like I haven't said that there is any upset potential in any of these games. And I think that's the case 
with this one too, because Cincinnati is also at home. They're a 21 point favorite over UCF. I'm at the same place with Cincinnati right now that I am with Georgia. Until I see a team beat them, I'm just going to pick them to win every single week. I, you don't have to worry about the mentality with them under Luke Fickle. He's going to have those dudes ready to play each and every week. So until somebody plays with them, knocks them off, I'm just going to say that Cincinnati keeps rolling along. UCF has been very up and down so far to start the year, but we know that Gus Malzahn is the king of chaos. So uh, if if anybody gets them, maybe it's maybe it's UCF. I don't know. I, I'm not going to predict it to happen. I don't think this game will be particularly close given the point spread and everything we know about both of these teams. But uh, we do know that Gus Malzahn just thrives off of chaos and this uh, this is his type of game. So who knows? Those are the three games I kind of have in the upset potential category. And like I just said, there really, to me, isn't any upset potential in any of them anyway there. But those are the games where, I don't know, maybe you maybe you just watch for and see if it's you know close in the third quarter. Then we can start talking about upset alert. But on to what I really wanted to do in this show and what I talked about at the start of it is the real storyline to me of this week. And to me, that's just so much of it is going to be how teams respond to their emotional wins last week or just the absolute gut punch loss they took. And there were three crazy games last week that kind of stood tall and were the main stories of everything in week six. And that was Texas and Oklahoma, obviously, Alabama and Texas A&M with Bama losing, and then Ole Miss and Arkansas, which was just like, to call that game a shootout probably wouldn't even be uh, applicable or like an apt description of what that game truly was. It was just balls to the wall craziness. But those were the three games that you had a winner who got this really emotional win and then a loser who has to regroup and prevent it from damaging the rest of their season. And so we'll start with Oklahoma, who hosts Texas uh, Texas Christian. Who calls it Texas Christian? Hosts TCU. OU has TCU at home. They're 13 and a half point favorites. What are we getting from OU? Who's going to be the starting quarterback? There's that story going around that uh, there was a, a student reporter that staked out Oklahoma's practice in a public building with binoculars and saw that Caleb Williams was getting first-team reps with the quarterbacks and then uh, called Spencer Rattler's dad and got uh, quotes from him about it. And he said that Rattler's committed to staying at Oklahoma and then Oklahoma closed their media availability today and maybe for the rest of the week. So it's just pure craziness out there. But what Oklahoma are we going to get? Are we going to get the first-half Oklahoma who looks more like the OU we've seen so far this season, or are we going to get what we saw in the fourth quarter where they were you know, making plays, Williams came in there and really took the dynamic play for their offense to another level, and then we saw the Mims catch at the end of that game. It's clear that Oklahoma still has all the skill weapons in the world. They just haven't been able to use them this year for whatever reason, but how do they manage that quarterback situation and how do they keep up that momentum and the way that they played in the second half against Texas. TCU is another one of those wildcard teams where like, you can always bank on them playing a Texas or Oklahoma tough. They played Texas tough a couple of weeks ago. Can they do that on the road against OU? I'm going to say probably for like at least the first half. I think that OU, it's going to take them a little bit to get their bearings 
back on after what we saw last week. I don't think that they're a team that honestly is mentally strong enough to have a game like that and to come out and make another statement and to take care of business. I think that they're going to be in for a fight for at least the first half, maybe the first three quarters of this game, but eventually they probably put TCU away. But I'm I'm very intrigued to see how Oklahoma responds to such a big win. On the other side, what does Texas do? How do they prevent what we saw in the fourth quarter or the second half, I guess, against Oklahoma from just completely destroying their whole season? They've already had such a roller coaster in Steve Sarkeesian's first year, and there was the Arkansas loss, and everybody pretty much left them for dead, and we were all making fun of Texas. And then they had a couple of really solid games, and then they just come out, and they did look like they're going to roll Oklahoma, and then it just all falls apart. They are at home against Oklahoma State, who's ranked 12th right now. Oklahoma State, I talk all the time about teams flying under the radar. Oklahoma State is beyond, be so beyond under whatever radar is out there to fly under. Nobody has said a word about Oklahoma State. They haven't really played anyone. I know they played Baylor, what was it, last week and got the win there. Both of those teams kind of surprising people this year. But what what can... What can this game be? I don't I don't know how to preview this game. I don't know what to expect from this game. But really, just for me, can Texas prevent their season from becoming a disaster? Because when you have a loss like that, like it's easy to say, hey, we're going to come out fired up. But it's also easy for that type of loss to just deflate everything, especially given that it's not just any game. It's Texas, Oklahoma. It's easy for that to just live with you for the rest of the season. So where's Texas at? And I think it'll say a lot about them and kind of where Sark has that program going if they're able to come back out, even though it's home, and beat Oklahoma State. I think that'll go a long way into showing that, hey, there was that moment last week, but they really are taking some steps here and regaining consistency. And for Oklahoma State side, I think the thing is just like, all right, let's let's see what you got. Nobody's been talking about you all year, and now you're on this stage and you're ranked 12th. Like, let's, let's see what you can do. And since we're talking about Texas fails, we might as well flip to the other side of the coin with their other rival in state, Texas A&M, and their big win over Alabama, finally knocking Alabama off. What just an unbelievable game that was, and it looked like that was the classic scenario of, hey, they got out to an early lead, they're making all the plays, and then Alabama just slowly creeping back in. And I feel like if you if you thought that A&M was going to win that game, with 10 minutes in the fourth quarter, you are either the biggest AM homer or you're an absolute liar. So the fact that they hung on and won that game was uh, like, what? If, where has this AM been all season? And now they're a nine point road favorite at Missouri. And I think this is an obvious spot where you would say, this is, this is a loss. Coming off of that win and the high of that win, this is just like a prime letdown spot for Texas A&M regardless of how good or bad you think Missouri is it's still a conference game on the road and really the whole story here is just can they keep their focus they had such high expectations going into the year and then the expectations were pretty much immediately cut off at the knees but then they beat Alabama so where does that focus go back to how can they play against a team like Missouri on the road I'm still not buying into Texas A&M's offense, despite how Josh Calzada played against Alabama and how much they just pushed Alabama's defensive line and the run game with that offensive line and, and, and Isaiah Spiller having a pretty good game. 
can they do that again and start to stack some good performances week after week? They should be able to against Missouri, but we haven't seen it so far this year. And you add in the fact that you're coming off that high of beating Alabama. It'll say a lot about where Jimbo Fisher has them and the focus level that they're at after a big win and being able to handle success. I, I don't think Missouri's good enough to beat them, but it we've seen it all the time with these type of games where you beat the top-ranked team or a top-five team, and then the next week you just lay a stinker. So it'll say a lot about AM's focus if they're able to just go into Missouri and take care of business. And on the other side of that, we have Alabama playing after a loss, which is just like such a foreign concept. And they're on the road at Mississippi State, who beat AM in College Station a few weeks ago. I'm not going to overthink this game. You would imagine that Nick Saban will have those guys ready to go. You would seem that they'd be pretty perturbed, pretty pissed off after that loss. Uh, Alabama, there, there's been just a ton written about them after that game. And are they really the Alabama we know? Or, you know, where do they go from here? It's kind of, for me, the same as it is with Georgia. Like, I know we saw Alabama lose, but until they really fall off, I'm not going to say that they're going to fall off. I think that I think that there's a big part of Nick Saban that actually relishes the fact that they lost that game. Because week after week, year after year, he has to continue to try to motivate these guys when they're winning and they're pumping kids into the NFL and they're winning national championships and winning Heismans, uh, winning defensive line awards, Belitnikoff awards, whatever. They're getting all of the accolades, getting all American honors. They're the best players in the country. And his what he deserves most credit for is that he's able to continuously motivate these guys. And that's when they're winning and you can get complacent after all of that winning. And he's been able to not have that complacency creep into his program. Now coming off a loss, he can actually tell them like, no, you guys didn't win last week. You lost. And he can really be Nick Saban, the teacher and the coach and really, really, really drill into these guys' heads that, hey, maybe you aren't as good as you think you are. You lost last week. And I think that there's a part of him that really relishes that. And uh, I, I think that they'll probably just steamroll over Mississippi State here. But it's just a rare treat that we get to see Alabama try to figure out how to play after a loss. And But if there's one team that can handle it and a coach that can handle it, it's Nick Saban. And then finally, to wrap up the trilogy of crazy games from last week and this theme of where teams and how teams respond, Arkansas and Ole Miss after that overtime game that they played, which was so absurd and so high scoring and so much fun to watch. Probably the most fun game of the season so far. Both of them are in a really sneaky spot this week. Arkansas losing that game is home against Auburn. Again, like back to the mentality thing. What what's their mentality like after a game like that? It was really impressive to see that, you know, when they got stopped by Georgia, they came back the next week, played Ole Miss on the road and damn near beat them. I hated the rollout call on the uh, the two point conversion for overtime. But like what's stones by Sam Pittman to call that play that scored the touchdown at the end of the game and then to go for two like that. It, it's really cool that to see Arkansas playing with that type of mentality, but to have to bounce back after another loss, even though they should probably beat Auburn, given just how wild Auburn's been, uh, just coming off another tough loss like that, uh, where, where are they at? How do they respond? And then Ole Miss has to go on the road to Tennessee. They're two and a half point favorites on the road there. Lane Kiffin 
going back. Is this the first time he's been back as a head coach to Tennessee? I think so. I know he uh, went there when Alabama was playing there when he was the offensive coordinator, but I think this is the first time he's been back as a head coach. I'm probably wrong, but who knows? Either way, it's going to be pretty crazy. And I talked about Oklahoma State being a team that's flying under the radar. Tennessee is flying real low, too. They had that early season loss to Pitt, which was a real crazy game. And they just kind of fell off the map in everybody's eyes. Nobody's been talking about them. Uh, They have Hendon Hooker, a Virginia Tech transfer, in at quarterback. And they've just been tearing it up since they lost to Florida, what was it, three weeks ago. Because the last two games they've played, they beat Missouri 65-24. to And then they beat South Carolina last week 45 to 20. Their offense is rolling right now, and I think they're in the top 15 in Bill Connolly's SP+. So the numbers like them. They're a really strong team right now, very quietly. And I think if you're looking for an upset pick this week, it's Tennessee over Ole Miss because for all the talk we heard about Ole Miss and we hear every week about their offense, which legitimately is pretty awesome, and they have a ton of weapons everywhere. It's so much fun to watch Matt Corral play quarterback. Uh, That defense that everybody was saying was improving and was going to be the real key for them hasn't looked like it for the last, I don't know, it definitely didn't look like it against Alabama, which I'm not going to you know discredit them for, for that, but didn't sure didn't look like it against uh, Arkansas last week either. And I think Tennessee's going to be able to score with them, and I think Tennessee has a better defense. Maybe they turn Corral over a few times, and I, I'm going to roll with it and take Tennessee Uh, with the upset there and that's not an indictment on Ole Miss that hey they got that big win against Arkansas and they're going to let it get to their heads and it's going to cost them this week against Tennessee I just think that Tennessee is a more well-rounded team right now and having that better defense and what should be a pretty crazy environment I think uh, Neyland Stadium's doing the checker out this week where they go with uh, orange white orange white in the sections of the stadium. Not that that's going to play a big deal into the score, but it's going to be a cool atmosphere. I think that place is going to be rocking. It's going to be as loud as it's been in the last 10 or 15 years. People are going to be crazy and uh, probably out for blood with Lane Kiffin on the other sidelines. And I think that Tennessee finds a way to get a win here somehow. And we start talking about Tennessee is like, Hey, this is a program that is improving. And this will be the first step of doing that on a national level. So that's what I'm looking for from an emotional standpoint this week is how these teams that were involved in these crazy games, whether they won or lost, respond this week. Can If you won, can you continue that momentum? Can you just stay the course and stack good week after good week on top of each other and you really let that win propel the rest of your season? And if you took a gut punch loss, what do you do to kind of stop that to not just wrecking your whole season. So it's it's going to be intriguing for me to see how these teams do after what we saw last week and how they're how the rest of their seasons go and if they're able to refocus in different ways as the rest of the year goes on. I'm going to get out of here in a second, but before I do that, I want to talk about some other games this week that I've got my eye on that really didn't fit into any of those categories and I'm going to keep it super short, going to try to go less than 30 seconds on uh, each of these games that I have written down. I think I have five or six here. And I'll start with Clemson and Syracuse on Friday night. This one is at Syracuse. Clemson had last week off. And the story here is obvious. Has Clemson's offense figured it out? What did they do on the bye week? Were they able to kind of iron some stuff out? The direction of what their offense is right now. Can they finally show some consistency 
there. And if they don't, what does that look like for Clemson going forward for the rest of the year? So that's Friday night. That's what I'm watching that game for on Saturday, uh, Florida at LSU. I'm just here for the disaster at LSU. It keeps getting worse. They've got players out for the season due to injury. They've got players out allegedly not due to injury. I don't know. It's just all such a mess there. And if you look at this, they they play this game against Florida and the rest of their season, they have a road game at Mississippi after this. Alabama on November 6th at Alabama. Home against Arkansas. Louisiana Monroe on November 20th. And then they close out at home against Texas A&M. Just an absolutely brutal season. I think the odds are pretty high that uh, that Ed Orgeron isn't going to make it to that Texas A&M game. So I'm here for the disaster at LSU and just what a change it's been over the last two years for them. Uh, moving to the Big Ten, Nebraska, they, re- they really need a win on the road at Minnesota. I was impressed with them against Michigan. I thought that fumble call against uh, Adrian Martinez was brutal at the end of that game, but I thought they played really well. And I think that like, it's fun to make jokes about Scott Frost, but I do think that they're turning the corner there, but they got to get a win against Minnesota. If they lose this game, it's going to start to look real bad for them. Uh, The winner of Baylor and BYU goes to five and one on the season. So that's certainly something Uh, the winner of Miami, North Carolina, most definitely will not be six and one after that, but that's a huge game. You want to talk about coaches and and their situation and hot seat. Manny Diaz there with what Miami's gone through. De'Aaron King out for the rest of the year. His college career, I think, is is done, which is really unfortunate and sad. Miami's had a disaster season as well. It hasn't been as bad as LSU, but it's been pretty rough. So that game is intriguing from that standpoint. Also in the ACC, uh, Pitt is top 10 in SP Plus right now. They are 4-1, and one, and they will be 5-1 and one with a win over Virginia Tech. Sorry if I'm just going rapid fire through all these. I'm trying to keep it short. Uh, Iowa State, Kansas State is the last game that I'm going to talk about here. And I've said this about a few teams and nobody talking about them. Iowa State kind of dropped off the map too, kind of like Tennessee, even though the expectations for Iowa State were a lot higher than Tennessee's. But no one is talking about Iowa State right now. I suspect that'll change here in the next few weeks. I just mentioned Pitt being in the top 10 of SP+. Iowa State, I think, is still in the top 15. They still have some big games left on their schedule, including Oklahoma. Uh, Start to watch out for Iowa State, uh, especially if they they trounce K-State this week. It's time to start building the profile on Iowa State, maybe at least for like a season ruiner profile in the Big 12 when it comes to like Oklahoma and what uh, the Big 12 is going to look like near the end of the season, what the Big 12 championship might look like. So Iowa State, I got I got my eye on you. That's pretty much it. That's all I'm looking for. I say this every single episode. I try to have a theme. I hope all of this made sense and it's coherent. And again, it's tough just doing these shows uh, as a single host here because I can't throw anything off of anybody and it's just solely my idea. So it's a little tough. So I hope it all makes sense and it doesn't uh, suck. Let, let me know what you think. Send me a tweet at Dubsco and please leave a star rating and review for the show. And you can tell me what I can do to make this show better because sometimes I feel like I'm just totally rambling on end for like 40 minutes about all these games and it's tough without any breaks. So 
hopefully it's all coherent and I can kind of get across something, I don't know, knowledgeable or at least funny or entertaining to you guys that you enjoy. So I think it's going to be another badass week. I'm excited for it, even if it's not as crazy as last week and just as wild as last week last week's was. But I think the storylines for this week and going forward for this season are pretty entertaining because it's, it's more than just, hey, who's going to make the playoff? I think that there are a lot of really uh, entertaining and intriguing mid-card storylines. Like Pitt, like I said, they're 4-1. and one. They're top 10 in SP+. Nobody's talking about them when it comes to like playoff stuff, but like, hey, if Pitt is seven and one or eight and one, that's just going to be a really fun discussion to have. So from top to bottom, I think this season has been uh, very entertaining and I- I've just loved all of it so far. That's all for today's show. I want to thank you guys for listening to the Two Straps podcast. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please subscribe on Apple, follow along on Spotify, listen on soundcloud.com slash two stripes pod. Tell your friends about the show. That's the easiest way to uh, to help grow the show, as in telling your friends, uh, sharing it with people who love college football and leaving a star rating and review. It helps other people and other college football fans find the show. If you're an Ohio State fan, go listen to my Maryland recap on Scarlet and Gray Stripes in the same feed. I'll be back with another episode next week previewing the Ohio State-Indiana game. Subscribe to twostripescpd.com for all of my college football content, including dumb picks of the week, which is hopefully will have a rebound after the disaster, the 0-3 of last week. Going to lead that off with the Penn State, or the Penn State, the Tennessee upset pick over Ole Miss. So check out dumb picks of the week over on twostripescpd.com. Follow the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, I should say, on on YouTube. Where else would you subscribe to it? I need to get out of here. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Colton Denning. Uh, follow me on Twitter, at Dubsco. That's it. I'll be back next week for another episode of the Two Stripes Podcast. But until then, I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. I'm Colton Denning. This is the Two Stripes Podcast. I'll holler at you next week.